seen the picture of that guy in the Jeep on that ledge several times now. And um, we could probably deduce a couple of things about him, you suppose? I mean, I just was thinking, looking here, I'm just like, first off, it's not a woman, because no woman would be crazy enough to do that, right? <laughs> Only a guy would drive a car out there. And I'm thinking, you know, what if, like, some rock has fallen off? That was incredibly sexist, but we guys, we need to take our lumps. It's true, isn't it? We would do something like that. You know, what if a rock had fallen off and was in the middle of the, you know, pathway? He can't get out and go move it because, I mean, it's just, that's just thinking is all. <laughs> Today's the ninth um, and um, Proverbs 9. So here's one out of uh, our book for the day. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. I just love the book of Proverbs. It's always fun. Something fun every, every day of the month like that. Um, you know, I want to just, um, before we launch into today's teaching, I want to just, um, if, if you're a visitor today, I just want to take a minute and talk about what happened during worship. Because I want you to understand that, um, that we love the Word of God here, and the Word of God does teach us that the Lord does supernatural things at times. And uh, we shouldn't feel awkward about them. We should invite them, I believe, we want to experience the Lord's loving hand. And um, so I appreciate being led well in worship musically. I appreciate being led with sensitivity to the Spirit. And then I also appreciate the Lord's, most of all, I appreciate the Lord's intervention to say something hopeful to my heart. I hope you caught it too, because the Lord's intention there was for you. It was always, it's always for you. So, okay, we've been talking about guardrails. You uh, see that we have some decorations up here. This help you remember what we're talking about, and we're going to be on this for a few more weeks. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting analogy. A guardrail is something that's designed to keep a vehicle from straying into a dangerous or off-limits areas. And uh, it's, it's, you'll notice them as you drive around. They're always up in the safe area of driving. In fact, if, if you pull them out, you could actually put your car right where the guardrail sits. It's, so it's always constructed somewhere in the safe zone. Now, why have I mentioned that every week? There's, there's an implication there, that as you decide to start putting up guardrails in your life to keep you safe in areas of your character and areas of lifestyle and so forth, you have to erect them in the safety area. It's always too late as you realize your car is going over into the canyon. You think, wait a second, I got my cell phone. I'm going to call the Department of Transportation. Say, hey, I'm up on a curve. Could you hurry up and get a guardrail built up here for me? It's too late then. Don't you agree? At that point. So the, the guardrail has to be built in the safety zone while things are calm and peaceful. That's now. I hope that's now. Um, so that's why I keep pointing it out. You know, we, we've talked about what, what would guardrails look like if we put them in our lives in the areas of our finances or our dating or our morality or our ethics, and, you know, hopefully they would keep us, keep us out of those danger zones financially and, and so forth. So we came up with a definition for guardrails about, um, as it relates to our lives, and it's this. Guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience, a personal standard, something you choose and say, I'm going to put this guardrail in my life, and it's my standard for how I will behave, and hopefully this guardrail will become a matter of my conscience so that when I bump my own, my own guardrail that I built, it triggers something in my conscience that says, ooh, ooh, and I feel something that really makes me want to back off from that. Whatever, whatever that motivation is. And that's the idea of the guardrail. The point is to trigger your conscience 
not after you crash into the canyon, but before you go off into those dangerous zones. And, you know, we've kind of had some fun looking at culture because our culture is not going to help us with this. They try to, you know, drink responsibly. We talked about some of those kinds of things. They try to, but the truth is that our culture baits us. They bait us over to the edge. They say, hey, come on over here. Hey, Terry, come on over here. Look at down there. Come here, Terry. And then when I trip and go over, culture mocks me. It makes fun of me. It says, wow, you, uh, you came to the edge, you jumped over financially, now you're just irresponsible, Terry. I mean, it baits us, baits us, baits us, and then when we go over, it mocks us and it makes fun of us. So uh, I've kind of set a goal for this series. My, my, my desire as a pastor here is my goal is that over time that you will personally develop your own behaviors and, uh, f- that function as guardrails, and they become a matter of conscience. Instead of asking, how close can I get to the edge without sinning, you, know, you build these guardrails that, you know, that, that would be like what we talked about last week, the difference between a wise person and a fool. A wise person decides not to live on the very edge of disaster, financially, morally, and so forth. So today, I want to talk about an, an, a guardrail, an area that is probably the most needed area for guardrails in our lives, but it's also probably the topic with which I always feel the most resistance. <laughs> so this will be fun, you know. <laughs> um, you know. And here's the deal. Whenever I have ever taught about this topic, no matter how I paint it, no matter how cute I try to be and how clever and friendly and all of those kinds of things, whatever kind of clever you know, visual, I mean, no matter what I do, I always feel like the, the first reaction from the people who are listening to me, those go, oh, well, yeah, well, we would expect that coming from a pastor. And I suppose that's fair, but um, I'm, I, I feel like this is such a big deal. I don't want to just um, blow past it. Neither do I want you to say, oh, well, we would expect a pastor to say that and then just for you to go on. So I, I'm, the reason, what I'm going to talk about today is, is, is so important because I really believe that if we as a culture, not just the church, but as, as an American culture, would sort these issues out and get this right, get this one area of life right, there would be less poverty in our country. There'd be fewer problems in the inner cities. There would be fewer people in prisons. There would be, um, you know, more children would be tucked in by mommy and daddy rather than mommy this week and daddy next week because they're being swapped back and forth. I mean, we would find all kinds of arenas of our culture being healthier if we could get this one area, just get this one area correct. And it has to do with one of our strongest desires, and anywhere where our desires are involved, we have to build some guardrails. We need to build guardrails to keep our desires in check. And in this particular area, the area of our physical lives, our sexual intimacy, we need guardrails that are not made out of steel. We need them made out of titanium or something, you know, carbon fiber. We need really, really strong ones. And there are good reasons for for that. I mean, there are lots of areas of our lives that we can get ourselves into trouble. And this particular area is different from all of those because it is so difficult to recover from failures of going over this particular guardrail. I mean, for example, if you, if you have a financial train wreck in your, in your life, you can, over time, get things under control and, and get back to the place where you can rebuild your credit and you can be shiny new, again, as far as your credit's concerned. It, it takes a while, hard work, self-control. You know, you, in, in, in your education, you can do well for a while, and then you can kind of mess up, and maybe even, you could even flunk out of school for a while. 
But if you take summer classes and you study hard and you work hard, pretty soon you can get your education back to where you want it to be. And then a, a few decades off in the future, you look back and think, you know, it's something that maybe you laughed about, about your irresponsibility as a college kid. Oh, I messed up and I did these things. It's, it's nothing more than a humorous story because you fixed it. You can do that. Professionally, you can have disaster, you can have bankruptcy, you can get fired, you can get kicked. I mean, all these kind of things can happen and you can recover from them. But when it comes to sexual immorality, those are never the stories that people look back and laugh about because there's something there that just doesn't seem to go away. And you know, our culture sometimes acts like it starts to get a hold of this, but it doesn't really. But I think there's, some, there's a truth involved here that I'm going to confront that I think you and I would agree intuitively we know. The reason that it's so hard to recover from sexual immorality, from the disaster that comes, is this. Sex is not just physical. It's, just, it's not just physical. It's way deeper than that. It just goes way deeper than that. You know, when a person crosses certain lines there are things that they carry, carry with them for the rest of their lives. And we don't like to talk about that. We don't want to confront it. Culture sure isn't going to support that position. But I'm convinced that if there's any area of our lives that's the most in need of guardrails, this is it. And I think probably you believe that too. And um, because the damage done that follows us through our lives can, it can be the memories that follow us, the ghosts that follow us, the, the guilt that follows us, it just goes on and on and on. So although every desire of our life needs some sort of guardrails, this one really is the toughest, and it needs them. So, so today I'm going to be a little bit specific, a little bit explicit. Um, and uh, maybe some of you will think, well, man, Terry, you're just a little bit way, way, way extremely too conservative, and I guess we'll talk about that too. Um, so, um, but anyway, let's hop into the scriptures and see what they have to say here. And um, there's a Bible text that we're going to start with that seems really extreme. But I figured, why not start there, someplace extreme? Um, the truth is, though, you would be better off, I'd be better off, our culture would be better off if we took this scripture real seriously. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 18. Pretty simple, pretty simple. And this thing starts right out the gate going uh, full throttle. The word says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, I want to stop right there and point out, I am so glad that God put the word immorality in there. Because if it said flee from sex, um, that would be unrealistic. I mean, it says, doesn't say that. It says flee from sexual immorality. Sex is God's idea. And we'll find out that it's a, it's a good idea. You know, it's a, it's a gift from God. I have this, <laughs> this memory, and I, I, I can't put all the pieces together because I, I think it was my, my oldest boy, but I'm not certain. So I shouldn't say it's Ben, just in case it's not, but... He was a little guy, and Lisa and I were just going about life, and at one point in his conversation, he says the word sex. And that got our attention because this preceded when we had had any discussions with him that we could recall about it. We hadn't had the talk yet, and we were, you know, our, our radar lit up because, like, how does he know that word? What does he think it is? And so um, not wanting to be alarmist parents but wanting to be diligent parents, we just simply said to him, What's that? Sex, what's that? <laughs> it's amazing if you just listen what your kids will tell you. And as serious as he could, little Ben looked at us and said, it's a gift from God. That's all he knew. 
That's all he knew. Somewhere along the line, he had heard the word, and I think that we probably had said to him, you know, he said, what's sex? We said, well, it's a gift from God. And that satisfied him, okay? When your children ask questions about sex, you know, you need to tell them what they need to know. You don't need to go, go beyond that. And at some little young age, that answer completely satisfied him. And that stuck with him. I'm grateful. As a father, I am grateful that my son started off on this topic with a really healthy truth. Anyway, sex is God's idea, and it is a gift. Okay, uh, continuing. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's, it's, It's amazing that God says, you know, to flee. Not be careful, not get up close to the edge and peer over, but flee. I mean, it's, I don't know what could be clearer than that. Now, you might not be um, a church person. Maybe you're a regular church person. But, but here's what I know about you. If you're married, this is what you want your husband to do. You want your husband to flee from sexual immorality. If you, if you are married, this is what you want your wife to do. <laughs> if you're a parent... This is what you want your kids to do. I mean, come on, realistically. Every one of you, if you're a parent, you want your kids to flee sexual immorality. If you're a brother, you want your sister to do this. You want your best friends to do this. In fact, everybody that you really care about, you want them to flee sexual immorality. We're just not too sure if we want to flee for ourselves. I mean, (laughs) it's hard. And like maybe right now you're glad your husband's hearing these words or <laughs> your grandkids or something. And uh, we look at the implications of sexual immorality and what it can do in people's lives. And um, it's not that we look at it like, well, God made the rule and we don't want it broken, so flee sex. No, we look, at, we look at the carnage down there and on the other side of the guardrail and we go, you know, I don't want my kids there. I just don't want them there which is how God looks at you and me. He doesn't come up with a list and say, I made my list, do it because I'm God and I said so. No. He says, you know, you really ought not to do this because that is an ugly place. And it's hard to get out of that hole. So when it comes to this topic, um, we want it for the people around us, but we struggle because of our own self-control issues. And instead of fleeing... We have a tendency some, in some areas of our lives to flirt, don't we? I mean, I, I, I really believe we do. And the problem is this. Our culture baits us big time on this topic. I mean, it says, come on, come on, come on. And the closer you get to the edge, the more it baits you, and then you step over one molecule, and it is standing on your neck. It stands on your neck. Culture baits, 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 and mocks us when we crash. And there is no place in our culture that 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 baiting and mocking process is more evident than in the areas of sexual intimacy. Everywhere in our culture we turn, we're being baited. Um, You know, here's, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, like I have to. I mean, I don't really need to, but I'm going to give you a couple. Everybody, I think, in our society pretty much is against the problems that come from teen pregnancy, unwanted teen pregnancy. Pretty safe statement. Our culture wants, wants that. Have you paid attention to what we market to our teenage girls? I mean, um, I, I think the teenage girls, they're doing right now what is 
in keeping with where, they, where we are culturally. This is not an assault on young girls. This is not. But look at what we market to them. I mean, this, this is a little bit offensive, the, the words I'm going to I don't mean to be offensive with you, but I, I don't have to be really direct here. The, the, the things that we market to teenage girls today, if you transported them backwards 40 or 50 years ago, that's the way streetwalkers dressed 40 or 50 years ago. And if you were living 40 or 50 years ago and you saw a woman coming down the street or a girl dressed the way girls dress today, your assumption and maybe your mouth would say to the person, you know, that's, that's a streetwalker. That's, that's a prostitute because of the way she dressed. And so then we walk through the mall <laughs> and there's pictures and posters and mannequins and all of these examples saying, come on, dress this way, do this. And then we are curious, we don't understand, why do we have a problem with teen pregnancy? Well, it's not, that's not the reason, but it's one of the reasons. Culture baits, baits, baits to the edge and then mocks us when we step, step over. Um, here's another one and th- th- that a lot of people step over on the guardrail. You know, a lot of inact- uh, inappropriate activity on the internet, pornography. You know, we, we might stand back and assess that and say, oh, that's, that's, that's over the line, that's too much, that's gross. But then, and, and then when somebody we know gets into trouble with it, we don't understand how could he do that or how could she do that, by the way. This is not a problem for men. This is a problem for men and for women. You know, guys, be honest with yourselves. Every time you turn on the television, every time you open up a magazine, every time you walk through the mall, you see things that bait you to think this way. Baited, baited, baited. And then when some guy finally gets addicted to pornography, and so you know, he took the bait. Because everywhere we go, we're being baited. Every one of us in this room, the pastor included, entertains ourselves with affairs. Wow, strong statement. What does that mean? I guess I better explain that, huh? <laughs> Every TV show you watch, every movie you see in the theaters, you see relationships, 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 and their affairs. Then when somebody that you and I know actually has one, we flip out. How could she do this? How could he do this? We don't understand it. But every TV show, every novel, every movie. When was the last time you were in a movie and you saw a love scene between a married man and woman? I mean, think it through. It's almost never. I, <laughs> I suppose there's a good marketing reason for that. Who wants to see a married man and woman embrace and kiss and smooch and go on and carry on? Nobody wants to see that. It's kind of like thinking about, well, I want to watch my mom and dad make out. That's no fun. <laughs> I mean, when I think through the last time that I saw, <laughs> sorry, mom, it's like, <laughs> when I think through the last time I saw um, an actual married couple in a bra- embraced love scene in a movie, you know, it's like, remember the first Rocky movie? None of you, you're way too young, you know, Rocky, Adrian, Adrian, he kisses her in their love, and it's about 45 seconds, this steamy love scene, it was gross, it was just really bad. Probably because Rocky is so ugly, but like, whatever. 
Anyway, we entertain ourselves. This is really just part of what we see. It's what's in every television program. We entertain ourselves with all of these, these affairs that are going on. And then when somebody we know goes over the line and has an affair, we just kind of flip out. In our culture, we're constantly baited to the edge of moral disaster. Baited, baited, baited. And then when we step over, chastised, we're looked down upon. Culture's not getting any better. And you can decide to boycott this. You can say, well, I don't have a TV in my home, and therefore I'm not going to support that. But do you shop at the mall? Do you, you know, I mean, you can't avoid it completely. You can't just stop where culture is headed. And um, you can make a lot of great personal choices, but the truth is we still, every one of us, needs guardrails. You can raise your children in a home and not have television, and that may lessen their exposure, but you still need to train your kids to erect some guardrails because the pull is like the gravity of a black hole. It just pulls in everything towards it. And you have to decide where you're going to go when you hit that little tiny bump up against your guardrail. Are you going to say, oh, God, I'm sorry, and back off five or ten yards and say, you know, I'm just not going to live like that out on that edge anymore? Because that's what a guardrail is. That's the decision you make saying, okay, I'm going to put some guardrails in my life. And uh, when you get close, then you say, ooh, 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 danger zone, I'm going to back off. You know, and if you're a Christian, there's an even greater incentive. Let's continue on in the scripture there and see what else Paul says in, uh, starting in verse 19. Do you not know? Apparently he thought some of them didn't know. Maybe some of us don't know this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples? Your body's a temple. This is not figurative. I, I believe that this is literal. That's another teaching for another time, but your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Christians believe that when we open our heart to the Lord, there is something supernatural that takes place where the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence right inside of here somewhere. My body has literally become a temple, a residing place for something holy, the Spirit of God. So it goes on. You are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore because God bought you with a price. He purchased you. He purchased you from sin. You're no longer a slave. You no longer have to do everything your appetite tells you to do or what your desires tell you to do. Verse 20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The whole context of this discussion is sexual. Flee from sexual immorality because you've been purchased. So what was the price? Well, the obvious price was the death of our Savior King. And he says, I want you to do this with your body. Honor God with your body. So it's kind of like a litmus test. If it's dishonoring to God, don't do it with your body. If it's going to be dishonoring to God, don't take your body there. If it's going to be dishonoring to God, then don't think it through and don't play it through in your mind. Decide that everything you're going to do with this body honors God. That is really a challenge. It doesn't just apply to sexual immorality. I mean, that's so hard. The flesh is weak, and it wants to be fed in all kinds of arenas. It's really, really hard to do that. But you have to flee uh, sexual immorality. And practically speaking, to do that, I think you have to build some guardrails. Now, um, this is a decision that you make, just like any other decision. To not make a decision about this is a decision. 
hmm, so if I'm going to honor God with my body or not, so if I don't make a decision about that, I've decided something. Just thought I would point that out to you. And so I've got a, just a fun list of guardrails. These are just suggestions. You, know, you might think that some of these are so extreme that nobody does this. I want to tell you right now that that's not true. The things I'm going to suggest to you are things people in this room do and uh, other people do. And you ask yourself this question. Do I want the person who I'm going to marry someday to do these things? Do I want my kids to find someone who does these things to marry? Those are the questions to ask. And if you think that nobody does these things, that this is way too extreme, way too conservative, you know, I guess you could wait a few years and then when, um, and don't build these guardrails. And then if you encounter a problem where, you know, there's an addiction to something or an unwanted pregnancy or there's been some sort of inappropriate touching going on at the office and now your spouse is about to find out, you could run your clocks backwards to today and say, oh. Or you could also cry out to God and say, oh, God, how have I gotten myself into this mess? Help God fix it. His answer could be something like this. Hey, remember back then when I was talking to you about guardrails? I was trying to fix it then. You've got to make some decisions. Because a wise person, we talked about this last, last week, a wise person knows that yesterday is connected to today. And a fool is someone who knows what's wrong and doesn't care. That's last week's, in last week's message. I encourage you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here, to, uh, to give, that a, give that a listen. So um, these aren't extreme. This is just, in our culture, how you flee from sexual immorality. So these are some, some suggestions. That I have to, and I've made two, uh, two uh, lists. We're going to blow through those, and we're going to be done. So shorter message today, which is probably good, because this could create some interesting conversations in the car on the way home. Anyway, you need the extra time. Um, so I've got two lists, one for married people, one for single people. Um, but listen, maybe you're in a station of life where this doesn't seem real relevant to you. But listen, if you feel like that's true today, I want you to know that the Lord uses you to influence people around you. You either have children or grandchildren or friends who encounter this problem. And you need to be able to be salt and light. So the things that we're going through here today are things that you should be able to help other people with. So if this doesn't seem as relevant to you because you don't struggle in this area, I'm really happy for you about that. But take a look here at how you can be the solution to somebody else's need, and the Lord will use you in that. Okay, married people. One, don't travel alone with persons of the opposite sex. Don't get in the car with them. Don't fly with them. Just don't do it. No matter how much gasoline it will save, just don't do it. You don't need to be alone with someone of the opposite sex. It's the fertile seed ground for things to begin that, to happen there. Things will happen in privacy and in darkness that will not happen out in the light. So just, first off, don't go, that's, that's one suggestion. Number two, don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. I have to say this about that particular deal. Um, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for decades. I've helped a lot of people walk through disasters in their lives. And, and when it comes to the areas where I've seen um, broken marriages that stayed broken because of sexual immorality, the lion's share of them started out right here. An innocent meal between two people who were not married. They were married to somebody else, and all of a sudden they're having lunch together. And we can come up with 101 justifiable 
explainable, acceptable reasons for why it's okay to do it. But I'm just telling you, there are, there, it, it not only can be evil, it certainly has the appearance of evil. So just don't have you know, times where you're eating alone with a member of the opposite sex. Now, uh, is that pretty extreme? I suppose. You know, it's, I'm saying this to you now from the safety of where we stand because that's what a guardrail does. You put a guardrail in the safe area to keep you out of danger. And there are times that this particular guardrail is unavoidable. I mean, I've been there before. I'll give you some examples. Um, it's not unusual for me to make an appointment with a couple and um, I don't always meet here. In fact, I, I prefer to have my meetings out there somewhere. It's interesting um, how more civilized sometimes meetings can happen in the food court at Top Foods instead of in a closed... I mean, sometimes you need to be in a closed private office. But the tone you generally see... But anyway, so I, I have times where I have meetings with people out there in the public. And I've had them scheduled and shown up before, and there will be the wife who needs to meet, husband needs to meet too, and she'll either say to me, well, he wouldn't come, or he got, something kept him from being here. And so now I'm scratching my head because this is one of my guardrails. I live by this guardrail. In fact, it drives me crazy when that happens, but it's unavoidable sometimes. What do I do? Sorry, can't minister to you? or do, what do, Well, my first thing, out comes the cell phone. Honey, I just want you to know, I had this appointment. Husband's not here. Are you nearby? <laughs> Can you drop everything and join us? Or whatever. I mean, and then there's an assessment to be made. But the first thing I do is I, get, I turn on the lights because I want my wife and my covering to know where I am. You know, it, it could be a little bit touchy because the person may want privacy. And I understand that. And I, and, and I can bring sensitivity to a circumstance like that. But this is an, a really, really important guardrail for a lot of reasons. Not only to guard my reputation, but to guard hers. I'll take this one, one step further. Um, I invite you, if you ever see me somewhere sitting with a woman that is not this woman... It's just me and another person, a woman. Come up and talk to me. Hi, Pastor Terry, who's this? <laughs> Ask the question. I invite it. It's not that I've got this problem and I need to be held accountable, but I want you to know that's, that's real, I really live this way. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I was at a football game on Friday night and I brought a woman who wasn't my wife, happened to be my daughter. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think about things like that. I wonder how many of these people don't know this is my daughter. <laughs> it only lasts for a second, then I don't care anymore. It's my daughter, it's a father-daughter deal. But um, okay, so don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Here's another one. You might not think this doesn't apply to you, but it, it can. Don't hire cute members of the opposite sex because you want to help them. <laughs> okay, so some of you think, well, when would I ever hire anybody ever? Some of you do. You know, um, that's kind of a funny way to build, to, to describe this guardrail. Um, you know, a, 
you know, I, most of you, I think, know I came from a larger church and, and was a leader among a lot of leaders there. And, and over the years, you do a lot of hiring or you release staff members. There were a lot of times I said to staff members, go find yourself an assistant. Hire somebody to help you with this department. Do this kind of thing. And they'd go off. And, and when I was talking to someone who was married, I never, ever once green-lighted a hire. Never once until I knew how their spouse felt about that specific hire. Now, that is not how the world works, okay? You go to work for XYZ Company, and they tell you, hire an assistant. Um, XYZ Company does not require your wife or your husband to approve of who you select for your assistant. In fact, if you brought that idea up, they would think you were crazy and might even think that you were potentially creating a lawsuit or something. I don't know, but I don't care. Frankly, I care more about your marriage. I care more about your reputation and the health of your future and the health of this person. So, so if you, let's say you're hiring someone because she's cute and she needs a job and she's adequate. Um, what's your wife thinking? What is your wife thinking? Your wife is thinking, you say, well, but she needs a job. And your wife is thinking, yeah, find somebody ugly who needs a job. You know? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> That's how my wife thinks anyway. I mean, Is that too cynical? <laughs> I mean, really, listen to your spouse. There were times in all of those years where I green-lighted somebody to hire to find some person, and there was every good reason to say yes, but then I would look in the eyes of the spouse and, and see a lack of peace. That's all I needed. And I'd say, hey, privately, hey, this person, no matter how wonderful the qualifications, does not bring peace to your marriage. It's not right. Let's find somebody else. This guardrail comes from some examples that things that have happened. Here's another one. Don't confide in or counsel with members of the opposite sex. I'm talking about it in a confidential, private way. You know, if you hear somebody saying to you, but nobody ever listens to me like you do, right? Okay, if that was a, if that was a line in a movie, could you figure out where the plot's going? Could you figure that out? Yeah, you know, and you might think, but, you know, that doesn't sound very compassionate, Terry, because they need me. Here's my answer to that. They need help, but they don't need you, and you don't need them. Your husband needs you. Your wife needs you. They don't need you. They need help. Get them some help. And, you know... You might think that, boy, that just lacks compassion, but I want you to know, it has all the compassion it needs. I'm showing compassion for your marriage. I'm showing compassion for your children. I'm showing compassion for them as well. Don't confide in, in and do not counsel with people that are members of the opposite sex. You know, And, and there's, there's something that happens when you're in that kind of a setting with someone. When you're confiding in, there is a level of relational intimacy that starts to build up. And, and frankly, that is always the precursor to the physical. People want intimacy almost probably more than they want the physical. Anyway, so okay. The most compassionate thing is that you help those people get some help but refuse to be the shoulder that they cry on. Number five, when you feel, though this is going to probably be the hardest one and the scariest one, when you start to feel your heart or your desire drifting towards someone specific, you need to tell someone godly that you can trust. Now, some of you might want me to say, if you start feeling your heart drifted towards someone specific and it's not your wife, some of you would want me to say right now, go tell your wife. 
And I think that there's a place for truth and light. But I think that, there, that that's a complicated, the when and how you hurt and how you fix, that's not a simple black and white answer. The point is, you need to get to some godly person that you trust and tell them so that you're not alone dealing with it. You start to feel that way. And then take it from there. And then the last one on the list is your spouse needs to know what your guardrails are. Shouldn't be any big secret. It's good to be accountable to your spouse for where, where you've built guardrails. Okay, so that's married people. Single people. First one for singles is gouge out your eyes with a spoon. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Don't mean that. I know that there are some kind of weird scriptures. Um, un- hard to understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, number one. Apply the married people's guidelines in your relationships that you have with married people. So, for example, if you're someday going to get married, you don't want some sweet young thing coming to your husband and saying, nobody listens to me like you do. How'd that sound? That sound like a sweet young thing? Or vice, I mean, you, know, you won't want somebody saying that to your husband. Then don't be the one. You don't be the sweet young thing or the guy. You don't be that person. Don't travel with, don't have lunch with married men and women. Don't confide and counsel with someone of the opposite sex. Because, you know, the minute you start feeling loved and cherished by that person, you're in trouble. (coughs) You single person, you're in trouble when you start feeding off of the needs that you have relationally from someone who belongs to someone else. Now, this seems incredibly simple to understand today, but it's not so simple in the moment. You might feel cherished at the moment. But in your thinking, you forget to consider that if you could attract this guy away from his wife, is that the kind of man you want to be married to? One who can be spirited away by the next sweet young thing? Think that through. It just doesn't make sense. You know, and I've even heard people say, well, here's how I'm praying, Pastor Terry. Lord, give me the wisdom to point this man back towards his wife. Sounds really good, you know. The problem is, here's what God's saying as his answer to that prayer. This is foolish. You're playing with danger. You're headed into areas that you have no business being in. That's God's answer to that prayer. Okay, number two. No sleepovers for single people. None. There should never be a time where a boyfriend spends the night in his girlfriend's apartment and vice versa. It just shouldn't happen. There's just way, way, way too much going on there. You know, sleepovers are for eight-year-olds. Is it a sin? Is it a sin to sleep over? No. But the point of the guardrail is to keep you out of trouble. And it's just trouble. It's just trouble. There are some great Christmas songs about sleeping over because it's snowing outside. I love them. You know, the fire outside is frightful. The fire is so delightful. Let it snow, let it snow. I know what Dean Martin's thinking that whole time. So do you. It doesn't have anything to do with the fire. Well, not the one in the fireplace. To the number three, um, there was this recent Gallup poll that came out, and it surveyed young, um, unmarried Christians. And this is very recent in America, young, unmarried Christians. 67% of them are presently are are sexually active. Wow. Young, Christian, single people. So here's the the next one, and this is the last one on the list. If in the world that you are a part of, date has come to include sex, 
take a break and reset. Here's what I mean by that. Go to your calendar, flip it forward 12 months from today, put a big old X on the calendar. And between now and then, no more relationships. None. I mean, I'm talking about friendships. None. No opposite sex relationship. Nada. Zero. You need to take enough time away to allow the thinking, the mindset, the philosophies that allowed you to get there to be dealt with by the Lord so he can purge and he can literally renew you. Renew your mind, renew your spirit. Listen, most people ignore that advice when I've given it. Most people do. But there have been some that have. And here's the fruit of it. Almost, I mean, I've not heard one of them that didn't say, that was hard, but boy, it was really good. I'm changed. I could have never changed if I hadn't had that break, that reset. This is so good. God has renewed me. God's completely changed me. And the prayer for that person is, God, you know, clean my heart. Prepare me for the person who I'm looking for so that I'm right for them. Prepare my heart, God. Are th- is this list extreme? I don't, I don't know. I think, so. I think they're just common sense. I'll say this to you, that you're never, ever going to regret putting guardrails in your lives. So you could say, are they extreme? I don't know. I'll say this. This is how you put yourself on a pathway for having an amazing, I'm in love with this person like crazy, forever the right person the rest of my life kind of experience. This is how you do that. You build these kinds of guardrails. What fuels intimacy is exclusivity. If you want intimacy, you've got to bring exclusivity to the table. Because when your spouse believes she is the only one for me, when she knows that down in her toes, when she knows that down in her toes, there is something of power that just comes out of that that fuels life, fuels a relationship. And all this begins with guardrails. Maybe for you, it's the hard one. A year off sounds hard. There are people in this room doing it right now. Find each other. If you're the same sex, okay? (laughs) Or maybe it begins with limits that you set for yourselves that your co-workers and your boss just don't get. Your boss says, well, why aren't you hiring her? She's hot. And your answer is, because I love my wife and it's not healthy for my marriage. Your boss would be going, what does getting your job done have to do with your marriage? Everything. A smart boss knows that if you have a stable life, you're going to be a stable employee. Anyway, that's another. And yet our culture baits, 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 pulls us to the edge and then wants to penalize us when we step over. What else would you expect your heavenly father to say to you except flee Sexual immorality. Don't you know that I live in... What else would you expect? He, he even says, you know, he basically is saying, if you will honor me with your body, I will honor your relationships. There's an implied promise there because sex was his idea. The marriage bed is undefiled. I love the scripture. Hebrews 13, 4 says, the marriage is honorable above all and the bed undefiled. Do you realize that? The Lord is not some Puritan. I, listen, I'm not going to get overly explicit here, but I've, I've, I've been in churches before where a pastor has stood up and he has said, 
He has dictated what um, is an acceptable way to have intercourse. And I'm not going to go there except to say that this scripture says the marriage bed is undefiled. God wants you to enjoy the physical part of your relationship with your married spouse. He not only wants you to enjoy it, he wants it to bring life and hope into your marriage. And it will. He'll reward you with intimacy. But if you're going to get there, you've got to have some guardrails. So let's pray. Let's pray. Eric, I'm going to invite you and whoever you need to be up here to lead us in worship release in a song. I appreciate that. Lord, I know that a message like this lands in all kinds of spots, in all kinds of different hearts. I know, Lord, to uh, address this takes something of wisdom for people, to connect the dots from yesterday to today to tomorrow. It takes something of courage. And, Lord, it seems like self-control, but, God, I'm, I'm concerned, too, for especially for single people who feel pinned down by the culture. God, give them the courage to to put up the guardrails. Just give them the courage, Lord, to sort through what is it, God, that you see about our tomorrows that you're trying to lead us to that's so rich and so full of hope, so full of life. This reigning thing we were praying and singing about early this morning. God, help us to see those things and how as we erect guardrails now that it's your hand Lord, for couples in this room who may have either awkward quiet or awkward words for each other on the way home today, I pray, Lord, for your loving hand just to get in there and just to drive them to each other, Lord. So, Lord, I I pray, God, that uh, you would have glory, 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 Lord, and that, Lord, what we would see now is your hand at work now in our lives in Jesus' name.